The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. You're listening to an encore presentation of Pilgrim's Progress. We will not be taking calls today. Paul and Silas are in jail. They've been severely beaten. They're sitting with their feet in stocks. They can't sleep. They're miserable. So they lift their voices up in praise to Jesus, and they worship him. They praise his name. And all the prisoners, they're listening. The whole prison is awake. As they're praising the name of their Jesus, a great earthquake comes. The place is shaken. Their chains all fall off. We'll pick the story up in Acts, the 16th chapter. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the Foundations of the prison was shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But he, he thought the prisoners had all escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself! We're all here! The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out, and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? That's a question I want to ask you today. What must I do to be saved? But before I can ask that question, and we will get to that question this week, we will go in depth with that question this week. Before I answer that question, there's another question. And that question is, what must I not do if I am going to be saved? Now, this man asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And, and they could simply answer with a very simple message. This man and all of his household were baptized. Can't do that today. And the reason we can't do that today is so many false teachings about Jesus Christ have flooded the church. And I've been struggling with this issue. I want to just share it very frankly with you. I've been crying out to the Lord about a specific issue regarding you. Yes, you. 
in the spirit I see you. I've been struggling with the issue of what happens when a pastor comes and preaches a very straight word, unvarnished, calling for repentance, calling people out of darkness. What happens that that message not pierce the heart and bring forth revival? In the old days, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, a straight word proclaimed would bring forth revival. Did for Charles Finney. Did for John Wesley. It did in the Welsh revival. It even did in the Jesus movement. But it doesn't today. Very few people want to hear the message, straight holiness gospel, not legalism, totally by faith, holiness by faith, happens. And the answer that I come to is that it's almost as though our hearts are protected the way a policeman is protected with his his armor. So when the shot of the gospel is fired, it doesn't pierce our hearts, bounces off. It may cause some pain, but it bounces off. And there's no real change. But what creates that, that effect, that Teflon effect, so that you can hear the gospel preached time after time after time? And finally, your your heart is only more hardened than it was when you began listening to the preacher. I've been crying out about that. I've been asking Jesus. A very wise friend said to me, you will not leave your sin until you know how expensive it is. And when you can no longer afford the sin, you'll leave it. Right now, it seems like everybody can afford the pain of their sin. Can that be? And I'll tell you the effect your sin has on me. Two effects. One, I don't hear from you. You don't come together with me. And part of what I've learned through the years is that nothing good is ever accomplished. People don't come together around something that needs to be accomplished. Whether I'm a contractor and and I offer a building service, has to be someone who needs that building service. And then we help each other. You get your building, I get the resources, and and we go on and we help one another through the process. Well, that's what the word koinonia literally means. Fellowship in the scripture means 
koinonia, where two people lean against each other. They help one another in the process. And I need people who will help me in this process of proclaiming the gospel. I need help by many of you sending tithes and offerings, help pay the radio bill. And many of you do that, and I'm very, very grateful. They also need people who will step forward and say, I don't hear this kind of preaching anywhere else, and I need this, and I need a fellowship of people who care about this, so I'm going to join my life together with you in fellowship in Koinonia as a part of the National Prayer Chapel. And when you have Teflon on, that's not going to be something you're going to do because part is to go make money, have some other comfort in life. And so that hurts my heart. And it blocks the work of God from going forward. If ever there was a time when Washington, D.C. needed to hear a very clear, straight, honest word, today is that day. Things change politically, but no political movement ever changed the morality of America. Always the morality of America has been changed when men and women stepped forward and said, I will pay the price, I will follow Jesus, and I will join together with other men and women who want to follow Jesus, and together we will make a difference. I need you to do that invite you to do that, whether it's to continue giving so generously as you have, or whether it's actually coming and sharing and being a part of the National Prayer Chapel, where together we can begin building that base for reaching America. But I know before we can go there, We have to take some time and look at what is it that we can no longer do if we are going to be saved. And I'm going to go through several things before I answer the question of this man in Acts 16, what must I do to be saved? Well, first, you must not imagine that you have nothing to do. If you imagine that you have nothing to do, that you have said, yes, I will, rec- I will accept Jesus, and now I'm saved. I've, I've said I'm sorry for my sin, and now I'm on course, and I can continue to live my life the way I choose. You must not imagine that you have nothing to do, and you must not make the mistake regarding sp- Specifically, what you must do. And we'll get into that later this week as we address this question. What must I do to be saved? The easy answers are not going to work. If you simply say, I must believe on Jesus and then continue to walk in your sin, that's not going to work. And you must not imagine that that's going to work. You must put away your illusions. Second, 
you must not assume that you cannot do what God has required. Many of you have simply assumed that you could not leave your sin. And that would be utterly false. You must not assume you cannot leave your sin. Third, must not put off your decision. See, we have that amount of time God has granted to each. None of us know how much time that is. I already have many dear friends, people that I love, that I expected to grow old together with, who are already dead. They're gone. They've already gone to their judgment. I recognize that every day I live is a gift from God. Every time I wake up in the morning, it is a gift from Jesus. I have people say, how are you, Pastor? And I answer, I'm good. I woke up this morning. Every new morning is a gift from Jesus. It means that there's more time to get right with him. But much more importantly, there's more time to serve him, to follow him to rejoice in his kindness and his mercy and to extend that to others and invite them to likewise come and walk together with you. I hope you hear that's what I'm doing today. I'm inviting you to come and walk together with me in following Jesus. Some of you have continued to put off what Jesus has called you to do. Procrastination is the murder of the soul. I say that again. Procrastination is the murder of the soul. Some of you have been procrastinating about the simplest things that Jesus has asked you to do. The simplest thing. When will you simply act when Jesus calls you? Now, it's one thing if you don't quite know what Jesus wants you to do, and so you need to pray through that, and you need to carefully consider your steps. But it's a whole other picture if you're very clear about what Jesus asked you to do. For example, one dear brother, Jesus has asked him to sell his motorcycle. And every time I see him, I say, have you sold your motorcycle yet? And every time his head hangs and he says, no, I haven't. Well, why not? Well, I'm procrastinating. But I thought Jesus told you to sell it. Well, he did. Well, what's the problem? You see, there is a problem. Big problem. 
when we begin to do that with a decision that we will honor Jesus in everything we do and say. We feel a conviction that this is what I ought to do. And then we delay doing what we ought to do. And I know why. Look, let's be very frank with one another. We delay doing what we know we are to do because it allows us to enjoy our sin a little bit longer. It allows us to continue in our cave where we feel safe in some measure and not trust Jesus. Because while we're hidden in our cave, we can continue to walk in our sin. Am I right? You don't want to make those cut-off decisions because then what will you do to comfort your soul? Don't continue to put off decisions that you know you're to make. You must make that decision morally, ethically, And do it now, in accord with the word of God that he has spoken to your heart. Don't use your time to allow you additional sin time. Another part of this is, don't continue to to delay the very specific direction you have heard the Spirit of God give you regarding relationships or regarding actions. Let me put it another way. Don't continue with questionable activities. If you hear the Spirit of God saying to you, stop going there, I'll be very specific with you. Many years ago, every Friday, I used to go to the latest action movies. And the Lord spoke to me and said, stop. Don't go to that movie. Well, then recently, a group of Christian men invited me to go to the new movie Fury, a World War II tank battle. And they were all very excited about it. They were ex-military guys. And they invited me to come and have dinner with them and then go to see the movie Fury. Well, immediately in my heart rose up, wow, I'd like to be with these guys. We're friends. And frankly, I'd kind of like to see that movie. And the Spirit of God said, I told you no. Well, now I have a decision. Am I going to go with this group of Christian men 
and plunge into the violence, the death, and the destruction of this movie because it's realistic. That was their argument. Pastor, this is a good movie because it's very realistic. It depicts what happens on the battlefield. Well, you know what? I don't need to know what happens on the battlefield. War is not of Jesus. It is death. It is blood. It is violence. God hates violence. He hates bloodshed. He said no. So I said to these men, thank you very much for inviting me. I won't be able to come. Understand. If the Lord puts his finger on something and says, that is questionable, and there's a check in your spirit, don't do it. Don't continue to do things that the Spirit of God has put a check in your heart about and said, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't think that. Don't walk like that. If he puts a check in your spirit, don't continue to do it if you want to be saved. There is no one else but the Holy Spirit who can teach you about Jesus and lead you in such a manner that you will end up successfully entering the kingdom of God. And if you grieve the Holy Spirit and refuse to walk in his steps, you will surely not end up in the kingdom of heaven. So, want to be saved, do not continue to walk in the darkness. Rather, come out into the light. Everything that you do can be seen as something righteous. Don't put off the decision. Take that action now. The passage of Scripture I'd like to just share with you quickly on this. Let me turn to it. The book of Romans, chapter. Romans, chapter. I'm going to begin with verse 19. I put this in human terms. Because you're weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer your body, parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Well, what benefit did you reap? at that time, from the things you're now ashamed of. Those things result in death. 
But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to see several things in this passage. We're all weak in our natural selves, and we all fall into sin, that is, choose sin in our natural selves. The temptation simply has to come, and we're swept away in it. And so ever-increasing wickedness builds up in our hearts and our lives. But now we're called to offer ourselves not to the natural self, but rather to righteousness that leads to holiness. It says, you have been set free from sin. And I would just ask you the question, have you been set free from sin? If you have not been set free from sin, you are not yet saved. When we use the word sozo or saved, we mean saved in reality from something real. Like, if you're walking across the street and a semi-truck is coming and you don't know it, and somebody jerks you out of the way of that semi-truck so you're not run over, you were saved. If you're drowning and someone dives in and rescues you, you were saved. If you're in a car accident and the car is burning and you're hurt and you can't get out and someone pulls you out of that car, you're saved. It would be foolish to talk about being saved from a burning car if you're left in the car for it to burn. Be foolish to talk about being saved from drowning if you drown. See what I mean. Jesus saved Peter from the billows. So so. He saved Peter from the billows, from the water. When he walked on the water, he saved him. He reached out his hand, he drew him up out of the water. He saved him. Have you been saved from sin? Scripture in Ephesians is talking about don't live like the Gentiles anymore. Don't walk that way anymore. Now, so long as we maintain that we are saved, but we are still in the burning car, we have not been saved. We are lost, and we will die in the fire if we are not pulled out of that burning car. If you are not taken out of your sin, you will die in your sin. The wages of sin is death. Not life, it's death. So what is it that you're thinking? What is it that you're doing? What is the lie that you're believing 
that allows you to continue believing that you're saved while you're still in the burning car and you're still in opposition to the will of God and you are still offering parts of your body in slavery to sin, to the devil. Please, what is it in your heart that allows you to continue to imagine that you are saved while you are in the midst of your sin? There are several things that God cannot do for you. God cannot repent for you. God can forgive you. Now, let's talk about that briefly. Repentance means to renounce my sin, to confess it, to take all responsibility for it, and to say, this is what I've done, with no excuses, not blaming anyone. This is what I've done. This is what I've said. This is how I've behaved. This is my course of action. I am wrong. It is sin. And then we say to Jesus, forgive me. Aphemim. That's the Greek word, aphemy. And aphemy means to remove from, to separate from. You cannot be forgiven as you continue to be in your sin. The word aphemy allows you not to continue in that course of action, but to literally be locationally separated from that area. So when Peter left his nets and followed Jesus, he aphemied his nets. He left. There is a locational element to that word aphemy of separation. There's also that you are washed. You are clean. But that's getting into the topic for later this week. But let me just say again, Jesus cannot repent for you. He cannot say yes for you. Grace is a divine influence that comes into a person's life to influence them one direction or another, to order their steps toward godliness. It is that divine influence of God that comes so graciously upon our hearts that we would say yes to the Lord Jesus but we can also say no. We can reject and say, I will not do that. You cannot wait for God before you do your duty. You cannot wait for God to change your heart. If you wait for God to change your heart, 
you will never have a new heart. I know of people who, with tears and weeping, oh God, give me a new heart. And nothing happens. Why? Because you have to go and get that new heart. You have to go and get that new heart. It's not going to be simply given to you. But we'll talk about that later this week. Do not continue to hide in a refuge of lies. Do not continue to hide in some belief or some sentimental understanding or in your mom and dad's church. Church is the favorite refuge of lies for many people. Don't hide. If you want to be saved, if you want to enter into the presence of Jesus at the end of this age or when you die, do not continue to hide in a refuge of lies. Now, all of us, reviewing last week, usually end up believing that our lies are the truth. I've seen this over and over. Satan can come and twist and turn, and we become so convinced that we're right. So many times in my life I've been so right, I've been wrong. When a person is right with arrogance, they're so right they're wrong. It has to be a place where finally come to Jesus and say, Lord, would you just expose all the places I'm hiding from you? Would you show me the lies that I've believed? I've prayed that prayer many times. Lord, give me a revelation of your truth. Holy Spirit, let me see Jesus in all of his beauty and in all of his grandeur. Let me see Jesus. Don't let me believe a lie. And as he begins to expose the lies, you have to take a course of action toward the truth. Do not look if you want to be saved. Do not look for or expect an easy, self-pleasing way into the kingdom of God. There is not anything easy or soft or sentimental about entering into salvation. There is a very clear course that we must take. And that course will determine whether we end up in heaven or in hell. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel, and this is Pilgrim's Progress. You remember in the story of John Bunyan's Christian is walking down this narrow path toward the celestial city. And he sees 
two men come over the wall, which says was the wall of salvation. They didn't come in by way of the gate. They snuck over the wall because it was too inconvenient to come in by the gate. And so Christian confronts them and says, but you are going to be considered as thieves and robbers because you did not come in by way of the gate. You did not receive a scroll. You did not come in the narrow gate, the suffering gate. You came in the easy way. Many of you listening to this broadcast today call yourself saved because you came in by the easy way. You've never come in by way of the narrow gate and you've never been born from above. You're still a sinner struggling to do your best trying to do what you know to be right, but you're powerless to accomplish it. You keep failing because you never came through the narrow gate. Jesus is that narrow gate. And so you try as hard as you can, and you finally just gave up and said, look, this is who I am, God. You're going to have to accept me just like I am. I'll do my best. I'll give tithes and offerings. I'll go to church. I'll call myself a Christian. But in your heart, you know you're still a captive to sin. So what are you going to do? Are you going to play this game all the way to the end? Are you going to accuse and abuse Jesus throughout the whole course of your life, saying that his blood is not adequate to break the power of sin in your life? Are you going to accuse him of lying? Are you going to believe some easy believism and say, I'm saved, God loves me unconditionally, I'm on my way to heaven, while all the time you know that you're a son of the devil? I mean, come on. You know if you're walking in sin today. You know if your heart is rebellious against Jesus. I don't have to tell you. I don't have to spoon feed you. You know whether you're walking with Jesus sold out or whether you're a struggling sinner trying unsuccessfully to make it through, doing your best and hoping for the best. The best is not going to happen. The worst is going to happen. In the story of Pilgrim, these two men come to an easy way, one on the left and one on the right. And they say, this road is too hard, and this easy road will take us the same place you're going. So we'll meet you at the celestial city. You go ahead and take the hard road. We're going to take this broad way. It's a much more pleasant road. We're going to go this way. We don't want to go to a church where they constantly deal with our sin and call us to repent. We want to go to a church where they fawn over us and have wonderful programs for us and tell us that we're saved and loved unconditionally and we're on our way to heaven and we can just relax and have a good time as we're on our way to heaven. In fact, you want to go to a church where the pastor says, look, going to church is fun. Enjoy. Come and have a good time with us. Let the good times roll. And the narrow path just doesn't suit your fancy. So you believe the lie that your narrow path is going to end up at the same place 
as or your broad path is going to end up the same place the narrow path will end up. Well, in the story of Pilgrim's Progress, it became very obvious. Neither of the Broadway paths led the way to the celestial city. They led to destruction. Now, I'm not naive enough to to not understand and know that some of you would rather just walk and have a good time in this life and forget about the narrow path, forget about the school of the Holy Spirit, Forget about making a commitment and walking with a group of people. You'd rather be a lone ranger. You'd rather be out there doing your deal. You'd rather be walking that comfortable path. Even if it means you go to hell. At least you'll have had a good time while you're here because you say in your heart, I know that if I walk the narrow path, I can't do it anyway, and it's hopeless. So I'm going to believe the refuge of lies that says I'm on my way to heaven and I'm going to tell everybody I'm a Christian, I'm on my way to heaven, but I'm going to walk hand in hand with the devil. I'm going to continue the pornography, I'm going to continue lying, I'm going to continue cheating when it is to my advantage, I'm going to continue doing whatever I choose to do because I know. I can never be righteous. Well, can I say it straight? I can't ever leave my sin either. And I can't be righteous either. With a rebellious heart. I have to first go get a new heart. We're going to talk about how to do that this week. There has to be a new birth. There has to be a born-from-above experience. There has to be a transformation, a change. And that's available in Jesus Christ. So don't expect that you're going to be saved walking down the broad road. It's going to cost you everything to follow Jesus. Some of you have imagined that you don't need to make the decision today to follow Jesus. You plan on doing it in the future. You plan at some point on getting right with the Lord. Maybe when you die, he'll take all of your sins away. You know you can't enter into heaven with your sin, but but maybe he'll just take it from you when you die because... Well, you say you love him. That's a refuge of lies. The word for holiness in the Greek is never once used in the future tense. It's always now. Be made holy now. Make the decision now. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when you die. Today is the day of salvation. And salvation is to be born from above and be delivered from your sin and walk clean before God. 
So another time is not just as good as right now. I pray that as I go through these things today, some of you will decide, okay, pastor's right. I will leave my sins today. I will go get a new heart from Jesus today. Now, one of the things that can hold you back is if you wait for the approval of others. What's my husband going to think if I sell out for Jesus? What's my wife going to think if I sell out for Jesus? What are my relatives going to think? What's my boss going to think? What are my friends going to think? You know what? On that great day of judgment, you're going to come before the judgment bar of God, and none of your friends are going to stand with you. None of your family is going to stand with you. You're going to stand before the judge of all the earth, and you're going to have to answer. Did you walk in rebellion against me? The yes or no answer. Either you did or you didn't. And you will be confronted with the truth. It doesn't matter what other people think. This last week, precious couple in Syria, they were confronted by the Islamists. They were confronted with either convert or die. Either renounce Jesus or die. They understood the decision. This past Saturday, they made the choice. They said, we will not renounce Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and our Savior. They were sold out. So they had their legs broken so they could not run. And then they were carried to an oven, a large oven. And they were cast in. And they were burned to death. And all that was left were a few bone fragments. They were consumed. Are you that committed to Jesus Christ? Or are you that committed to your sin? Don't wait for others to approve or disapprove. It doesn't matter what others say. It matters what Jesus will say to us when we stand before his judgment bar. I can tell you what he said to this precious couple when they stood out of their anguish before the judgment bar of God. They were blessed. Now, if you want to be saved, you're going to have to let go of all of your bitterness and all of your anger. There will be no angry men in heaven. There will be no angry women in heaven. And some of you indulge your anger and your bitterness. It can flare up in a minute. 
How much damage do you need to do in the hearts and lives of other men and women before you will finally give up your sin of bitterness and anger? I've known people who had not spoken to their mom or their dad for five to ten years, hadn't spoken to a brother for 15 or 20 years because they're angry, they're bitter. You want to be saved. You're going to have to let go of your anger and your bitterness. You cannot carry anger and bitterness and enter into the kingdom of God. And anger and bitterness will block the word of God from finding a place in your heart. Now, this opens up another very difficult issue. And that is, many of you have taken a position. You've taken a position that has turned into a hardened bunker. And you stand in that bunker defended and the truth of God cannot enter in and grip your heart because you have made a decision about where you stand and you will not be moved. Those hardened bunkers, you have to exit. You have to leave them. You cannot remain in a hardened bunker and say, I'm going to receive Jesus Christ. As long as you remain in that hardened bunker, in that position, that you think you're so right in, until you're willing to walk out of that bunker, you cannot be saved. It may be a judgment against your wife or your husband. It may be a judgment against your children. It may be a judgment against your boss. You're in that bunker. You're defended. Nobody can reach you. You're going to have to decide to give up your bunker mentality if you're going to enter into the kingdom of God. You cannot remain in your stubborn hardness of heart and find Jesus Christ. They're in opposition to one another. Or your bunker may be your position that says, I'm saved even in my sin. Irregardless of all of the scripture I've shown you through the last two years, Irregardless of all of the teaching, you still maintain the position, I can't leave my sin. That's a bunker position that will take you to hell. You're going to have to give up your bunker. You're going to have to leave that position. See, we find pride in our position. And it becomes for us something very familiar. And we harden our heart. I've already covered, you're going to have to give up all questionable practices. One of the reasons we don't give up questionable practices is that we find in positive thinking that we can say affirmations and we can say things to people in a positive manner that make us feel good, even when we should feel bad you know there are times when you should feel really bad? You should be in tears. You should be broken and humbled before God. But that doesn't ever happen in your life. When was the last time you spent any time weeping before God for your sin? Some of you have not wept in years before God. Some of you have never wept before God. Why? Because you have 
positive thinking. You have self-esteem. You're somebody important. You know who you are and you know where you're going. Well, the last one I want to share with you is don't wait for God to give you different feelings. Feelings are the caboose of the train, not the engine. If you wait to feel differently before you repent and before you climb out of your bunker, you will never feel different. You have to climb out because you know it's the right thing to do. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I want to thank you for joining me today for this broadcast. Before I close, I want to pray. Almighty God, I pray for every person who listened today, and I ask Jesus in your mighty power, would you reveal the truth of each individual person's place and show them what they have to stop doing if they are going to be saved and if the gospel is going to be allowed to pierce their hearts. Lord, they are defended against your gospel. They are Teflon against your gospel and nothing sticks. Lord, I ask that you'll break through this now in the name of Jesus. And we will thank you, Jesus. In your mighty name I pray. Amen. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of his glory.